if my microphone is on, which seems like it is, then I think now is a good time to start. Let's pray together before we get into God's word, if we could, please. Well, Lord, we, we thank you for what you've done so far this morning. I thank you for the community we've enjoyed. I thank you for the worship that we've engaged. And I thank you that you've been a part of your people. You've dwelt among us. You've raised us up. And I, I believe that you've done many things, even uh, things that we haven't yet sensed or, or could feel in the moment. And, and God, I pray that you would help us to surrender our, our distractions to you today, that we would surrender even our afternoons, even the things that we're looking forward to, that we would, we would lay those down for a time and, and engage and be available for what you want to say to us today. God, it is, it is a special thing to come and dig into your word together. And, and Lord, I thank you for my time um, thinking and praying and caring and studying about this passage, but I pray that you would bring it to life. And it wouldn't be some notes that are just communicated. But that, God, you, you really would take the words and you would make them count. You would make them pierce and encourage and bring us back to life. So we give you this time. Would you be glorified? And Holy Spirit, would you move freely amongst us uh, to speak and to hear? We need you. Amen. Amen. So, my name is Matt. Um, if you've never met me, I'm the guy who's constantly asking you to sign up. So, I, I have a few other functions. Not, not just making sure you do or don't come to church. Uh, so, if, if I haven't met you, good morning. Uh, I, would, I would love to meet you yet. I would love to connect your email to your face. That'd be wonderful. Uh, everyone's been really gracious with the whole sign-up thing. I know it's nobody's favorite way to get to church, and yet it's working well. And so we thank you for that. There are some questions in life that structure everything after them. And it's far more than, do you want, do you want fries with that? Or the question that I always hear at home, can I have Doritos? That's my, that's my son's favorite question. Can I have Doritos? All right. So that's good. But, but there are some questions that actually take a lifetime to answer. Will you marry me? That's a big one. There's some consequences that come with that answer. Some good consequences, but our life is so framed by those very significant questions. Will you marry me? That's one of the biggest questions we'll ever ask or have answered. And it, it structures a whole lifetime after that. So I want to bring up an even bigger question. Yes, an even bigger question than will you marry me or not. So... Ezra, if we could get rolling on the slides, that would be wonderful. Thank you, sir. I want to talk about this question today. 
Do you love me? It's a big question. It's a big question. This is a lifetime question. This is a question that is going to take a lifetime to answer. I want to glorify God and his ability to give Greg insight to make a nice slide like this. I don't want to give him all the credit. So I'm, I'm going to thank the Lord for the insight that he gave to Greg. So we're going to be in John 21. Especially verse 15 and on. But I want to give us some context even before I read. This is an encounter between Jesus and his disciples. This is the third time he's appeared to them. The disciples have been out fishing, which is a wonderful thing to do when you don't quite know what you should do next. Because the disciples were still very much in a waiting period. Jesus had come back. He had appeared to them in various ways. But they still weren't entirely sure what was was going to come next or happen. Seven of them were present. Named seven disciples. And unfortunately, this man from the shore asked the question no fisherman ever wants to hear. Did you catch anything? That's, that's not the question anybody wants to hear. Because automatically, if somebody asks you if you've caught anything, you guarantee you haven't caught anything. Guaranteed. That's the answer. You mumble it under your breath. No, it's... it's just started or it's never want to ask people did you catch anything and then that's how jesus introduced himself to the situation and he ended up asking them to cast their nets again and they again came up with a giant haul of fish this time it didn't break the nets as it did in luke 5 but this is kind of where we're starting the disciples are still very much unsure of what Jesus is asking for them out that he's raised from the dead. They're wondering what their life looks like. They're a little unsure. They're a little insecure. Maybe they're a little unafraid. And in that there's this beautiful conversation between Jesus and Peter that I really believe applies to all of us today. It applies to us as we're asking about Carla uh, Elmer and Carlana as elders. As we're looking at each of our own ministries. What does God want me to do? What's my ministry? That's often the biggest question we ask ourselves. What does God want for me to do? Why am I here? What's next? I'm so unsure. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know why God made me. I don't know what he's called me for. I don't know my place in the world. These are questions that actually will keep us up at night. Here's the conversation that Jesus has with Peter. It's John 21, 15. Welcome you to follow along if you, if you wish. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said by showing what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. It's a striking question. It's a piercing question. Peter, do you love me? Every time that he asked it, he gave him another set of instructions. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. I'm mixing it up, but it's feed my lambs. He's, he's giving him different instructions. Now, I don't want this to rub up against anyone's sensitive religion button. Right? If, if I love God, I, I better be really busy. We can read that depending on our background. God is saying, I, if I want to love God, if I want to feel good about loving God, I had better get busy. And that's not what Jesus was doing to Peter. He was framing a ministry that was going to be totally free of duty. Jesus calls us to minister in freedom, in grace, in love. And it starts with the love for Jesus. There's just beautiful, beautiful truths that we can find in this. I want to talk about three things. Loving Jesus, loving his sheep, and loving his calling. Loving Jesus, loving his sheep, loving his calling. See, loving Jesus puts life in 2020 vision. Because sheep are a distracting bunch. Sheep are a messy bunch. Sheep are an all-consuming bunch. And our focus can get really off course really fast. Do you love me? This is the only question that he needs to ask. And our perspective when we serve is so important. Jesus isn't asking Peter, do you love making sure that the sheep come back after they've gone astray in the middle of the night? Do you love being bitten when you shear them? Are you willing to love that, Peter? Are you willing to love when they run away from you and don't listen and don't come back? Are you willing to love them when they bite through the fence and escape? Do you have that kind of love in your heart, Peter? He's not saying that. He's saying, let's start with your love for me and let's go from there. 
See, Jesus is calling us to a pure love as we care for people, as we minister. This message is for each and every one of us that's called to lead and minister. Who's currently a leader in this room? This is a trick question. Who's currently a leader in this room? Who is currently a leader in this room? Who is called to currently be a leader in this room? Who is called to currently minister in this room? I'm going to keep asking until we raise our hands. Who is called to minister in this room? Yeah, and Jesus wants to purify that. He wants to make sure that the thing we do is always, always rooted in our love for him. Because everybody we care for wants to pull us away from that. We want to pull ourselves away from that. What happens to us as leaders, and we've all agreed we're leaders now, what happens to us when we start worrying about how the sheep is doing and feeling? Is my flock happy with how I'm leading them? Do they feel satisfied? Do they feel affirmed right now? Is my flock affirmed? Am I giving my flock their very best life? How does this help us become better leaders? It, it doesn't. It helps us become people pleasers that are afraid of every negative comment. And we can't lead faithfully and freely like that. We can't do that. And we're just as muddy as the flock we're meant to love. And God's not asking us to not dwell among our people. But he's asking that our perspective would always be on, is my shepherd happy with my shepherding? And there's offices of shepherds. There's, we talked about that today. We're all called to lead and minister to somebody. What do you think would happen if we stopped looking at the scenario and started finding the Lord in every scenario? Would that make us more effective or just distracted? Of course, as the Lord is, he likes to wake me up in the middle of the night. When it's preaching time. With a baby who doesn't scream anymore. Except for when it's preaching time. And he's like, okay. Let's try this. Let's try this. You're going to get up. You're going to say that the only way that we can lead people. Since we're all called to be leaders and ministers. The only way is if we see Jesus and we're rooted fully in him. Even at the detriment of focusing on the people around us. Okay. That's good. It's right there in the Bible. That's, that's fine. That's what Jesus was telling Peter. Let's wake you up at 1.30 in the morning. When you're all groggy from your Benadryl allergy medication. And let's just see how effective 
the question of do you love me is right now. It was, was not that easy. I was like, okay, so we're doing this right now. We're doing this right now. You want to do this right now? Yeah, right now. I was like, okay. Okay. I, I, I think I can walk the walk at 1.30 in the morning. It's difficult to keep our eyes on the Lord when the things around us are so all-consuming. And what's the gift by the Lord in all of this? He doesn't want us to be taken out to sea in those things. We're called to walk through people th- with people through the hardest situations of their life. And it is a tremendous honor to be called into those situations. It is God's goodness and we're not even worthy to be asked into those scenarios. We're, we don't deserve that. And God wants to keep us safe. He wants to keep us grounded and anchored. Saying, yeah, that's, that's a rushing river that you're going by there. Yeah, that's, that's, don't dip your toe in, that's going to get bad. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be able to go into all of these difficult situations. I want you to bring life into these things. And I want you to be safe while you do it. So you need to look at me. You need to keep asking your question, do you love me? I know it's hard right now. But how are you and I doing? It's so loving of Jesus to do that. He's giving us the way forward in the two greatest commandments. Love God. Love each other. Done. You do that well, you're doing awesome. You got some spiritual maturity rocking. You could probably lead a community group, right? You're, you're doing well. You know how you do that? You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You, you find Jesus in the muck. And you love him well, and it's going to translate into loving others well too. Loving Jesus. Secondly, loving his sheep. So, I kind of have already gone into it a little bit. Sheep are, you know, you know, like, they're not great. They're kind of, kind of gross. I looked up like a thousand sheep jokes and you really got to sift through those things. Um... So I found two jokes that, that were worthy of a Sunday morning. Um, boss says to his employee, if I find you sleeping on the job one more time, you're fired. The employee goes, oh man, okay. And the boss says to him, now go do the sheep inventory. And the guy's, oh man. Sheep are not inspiring. Don't take this the wrong way, but how do you milk a sheep? Put an Apple logo on your product. That one bites a little bit. No condemnation. 
Everyone loves a good meat story. Um, but years ago, uh, this family had given their pet sheep over to, well, the butcher shop that I was a part of. And they did it sneakily because they didn't want their children to know where their sheep pet had gone. Uh, but the, the sheep was going to graduate from being a pet to um, being delicious. And, uh, and we were going to help with that transition. We were going we to usher him through pet to not pet to ready for barbecuing. It's a beautiful transition. Um, but this sheep, every time I, we put it in a horse trailer, as we were ushering it from one degree of glory to another, and... We put it in a horse trailer for it to wait patiently. And, uh, and every time I would walk by this horse trailer, this sheep would let out what I would consider a dinosaur sounds like. And would charge the gate from one end of the trailer to the other. That, that's a good 20 or 30 feet. So it picked up. Some speed as it would charge, letting out this war cry. And, and it did this every single time I walked by the trailer. And I'm thinking, man, when are we going to help this sheep transition? It is stuck here. And so everything went fine and, and the sheep was returned to its owners and all was well. Probably a bit of deception on the parents' part, but whatever. We're not responsible for that. Um, but sheep are not considered a highly acclaimed animal. So why do I spend so much time on this? Because one of the most important things that Jesus makes sure to mention is that these sheep... That Peter is meant to express his love of Jesus onto and make that his life's mission are Jesus' sheep. This is important. This is important. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And this is one of the most important things any community group leader is ever going to hear, any small group, ministry head, pastor, elder, mom, dad, other person who leads. The sheep that we are called to tend on behalf of Jesus aren't ours. They're Jesus's and he is very invested in how they're cared for. It gets really, really wonky when we forget this. The wheels come off really fast. Because we start thinking, well, I've, I've seen these sheep for three weeks in a row. And they listen to what I say sometimes. And sometimes they don't. And they go to where I want them to go. And sometimes they don't. And they're generally happy to see me. And sometimes they aren't. I'm pretty happy with my sheep. And that's a recipe for disaster. We start taking liberties the second we think 
these, these are my sheep. We start losing sight of it. We start sounding like Stephen from Braveheart where he's talking about Ireland. It's mine. It's my island. They're saying, you're a madman. You're crazy. Yeah. This is what Jesus says to the Pharisees who had lost sight of whose sheep they were caring for. Matthew 23 says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who will go into it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's the good shepherd slapping people's hands when they've lost sight of who's tending who. He goes on in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And Jesus is saying, mine, 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 they're mine. They're mine. Don't forget that. And I've entrusted you to care for them. And I take it really serious. If I brought my son up here. And I brought him before you. And I said. Who is willing to watch this boy? I would be saying. Do you love And are you willing to watch him out of love for me? Will you embrace him as your own? Will you protect him? Will you guard him? Will you give him a sense of normalcy as I'm off doing who knows what? I don't know why I'm not with him, but I'm not. And that's each and every person that God puts in our path. Will you love my boy for me? Will you love my girl for me? Would you look after my very best? Man, leadership is hard. Do we we want to put up our hands again and get... Who's the leader? Who's the minister? I'm making it sound really fun. Really weighty. But let's not lose sight... All this Jesus is asking us is, do you love me? Are you willing to spend your life on that? Are you willing to intentionally get up every day and care for my people? Alma, are you still good to go in the process? Good? Yeah? This is the first squeeze of... still remember that squeeze like it was two years ago. What? It's only been two years, yeah. Everyone else is like, man, you've been around for a long time. 
Love Jesus. Love his sheep. Love his calling. This is, this is the most tender part in the interaction with Peter. Love is calling. Jesus pulls Peter aside and he does it with the other six there. Or they go on a little walk. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't quite say. And he starts questioning Peter. He starts saying, Peter, do, do you love me? And Peter's going, okay, where are you going with all this? I, I, I got some sensitive parts inside of me. Don't ask the question. Don't go there, Jesus. Don't go. I know what I did. You don't have to bring it up. There's a, everyone else is here. You don't have to bring it up. I, I know what I did. Oh, you're asking, you're asking me three times? You're, you're asking me in front of people? Just, just because I denied you in front of people, you want to now ask me how much I love you in front of people? You want to ask me three times? Don't, don't bring it up. I would just want to move on. I want to get past this. It's too painful. And, and Jesus is reinstalling the man that he said, you're going to betray me. Isn't it significant? Every time... Jesus looked at Peter, I would assume, squarely in the eyes and said, do you love me more than these? Jesus had every single bit of data in what he was asking of Peter. And Peter knew it. Peter knew it. Peter was grieved the third time. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. We're so quick to disqualify ourselves. Is our own condemnation and guilt for the ways that we've let Jesus down? Greater than his call for us to love him with our lives. All of us have a tremendous argument against why Jesus shouldn't use us. And we're often happy to have that disagreement with him. And he's saying, I know, I know all of that. I know everything that you've done, every bit of discouragement that you feel with your own life and ministry. I know every against my people, not embrace them. I know every way and every time you've chosen yourself over your love for me, even though you do love me. I know right now that as I call you, you're you're feeling not even ready to answer. How ill-equipped and insecure would Peter have felt in that moment? And yet Jesus knew all of that and called him all the still. Do you love me? He knows exactly who he's calling. 
That's exactly what he's called. Now, the rule of thumb is this. We can't give something that we don't have. So, I can encourage you this whole morning and say... If you want your best life as a minister, if you really want your life to count, if you really want a genuine life caring and serving other people, it all needs to come out of Jesus. Seeing in him, being rooted in him, looking past the things that you're called to and into the face of the Lord. That, that's all great. And the best part about this is Jesus himself is wanting to instill that love in us. Because we can say, well, man, how, how do I conjure up enough love within myself to be motivated like that? That sounds really difficult. First John 4 says this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. We can't give something that we don't have. If we don't know the love of God for ourselves, if we don't know what we've been saved from, if we don't know Jesus in a personal way, we can't find him in these scenarios. We can't look past the difficult things of life that he's calling us to. We can't love him if we don't know him. And he wants to instill that love in us. If the cross hasn't made a big difference in our lives. If we don't know what we've been forgiven from. If we don't know the holes that he's pulled us out of. And we've all been pulled out of some pretty horrible holes. There's a certain value to remembering all that Jesus has saved us from. He wants that love to grow inside of it. He's not asking for a love that we need to conjure up. We need to work for. That's, that's religion again. He wants us to let him love us. And to confirm and to convince and to massage into us again and again and again. This is who I am. This is who I've been to you. Work out of that. Minister out of that. Lead out of that. Go boldly into situations out of that. That place. Jesus knew everything about Peter. And Peter knew that Jesus knew everything about him. And the call remained. Peter, will you spend your life answering the question, do you love me? Will you take all of that and pour it out into the people around you that need that love? This is a dangerous love. This is an unpredictable love. This is a motivating love that will take us into places that we've never been before and never thought we were going and maybe hoped we would never see. Second Corinthians says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Paul knew full well when he wrote that, that that I am willing to go. I am willing to see and do whatever it takes. Because I can't stop the love that's within me. 
of Jesus in my life. I can't stop it. I can't control it. I can't contain it. I can't predict it. And I don't want to. This is a love that makes us a dangerous, dangerous Christian to the gates of hell. This is a love that gets answered. What's, what's with you? Why are you here? I, I, I can't stop the locomotive of love in my heart for Jesus. He's given me a love for you. This is one of the most beautiful things. When Jesus says, do you love me? He knows where Peter is at. And he knows that as Peter walks this out, Jesus is going to reinstill and reinstill and reinstill a love for him and a love for his people that's going to be up for the task later on. He wants to grow our love. I don't know where we feel our love for him is today, where we feel our love for his sheep are today. Perhaps we see them simply like this, hoping they would be transformed into a greater state and find a horse trailer of their own. But Jesus wants to grow our love, that we would be up to it, we would be motivated by it, His love wants to help us to ask the right question in every situation. Everything that we're called into, everything that causes us surprise, everything that we never expected, every situation, even when you leave today, you're going to go home and go, man, I I feel so ill-equipped for this. The, The herd that's in front of me, no offense to your children or mine, but, but herd could mean anything. You've put your own definition in it when I said the herd in front of me. That could be a family problem. That could be a finance problem. That could be a health thing. The temptation is always, well, well, here I go getting swept away by the thing in front of me that I don't know what to do or how to deal with it. And the question is simple in all of that. It's the question that remains. It's the question that... Jesus wanted to frame all of Peter's life with and all of our lives with. Yes, that, that, that's pretty messy there, but, but do you love me? Saints, do you love me? And he wants to reframe our situations, our struggles, our challenges. It's the greatest question ever. It takes a lifetime to answer. And it's though. Very best way forward. One thing, one word to shepherds and sheep. Is there a distinction between shepherds and sheep? Kind of, sometimes. And yet the very best thing that we can remember is we're all shepherds and we're all sheep. And that can help us how do you guys feel being led? Do you, do you like being led? Do you like somebody having authority over your life? Do you like somebody telling you what you should or shouldn't do? Do you like a stern but loving rebuke? Is that like, does that get you up in the morning? Somebody's going to rebuke me today. I'm going to have to submit my life to somebody else. Yes, finally. 
I'm going to have to lay my life down for my children. I'm going to want to be really tired and really want to sit on the couch and really play list, or watch football. And they're going to be totally against that. And, and I, I get to submit to that. I get to die to them or die for them. It all feels the same sometimes. This is so important to know. In Ephesians, it says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Okay. The gist is this. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. This is the reframing that needs to happen. This is what makes submission possible. It's because we're not submitting to somebody else. We're submitting to Jesus. Can we submit to Jesus? For those that are feeling more shepherdy than sheep right now. It says in verse 9. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. That there is no partiality with him. We're all led. Even as leaders we're led. And we can submit and surrender and posture ourselves as that. This is the most effective way forward. As we minister and lead. As we spend our lives on other people. As we seek to faithfully worship God. This is the only way forward. Just a closing illustration. It's from Mark 14. It is rounding the final turn. Passover is among them. And he's sitting at this leader's house. And this woman either comes in or she's already in the room. And she takes this very expensive perfume and anoints his head with oil. Or perfume. And, and everyone's indignant of it. They're saying, what a waste. What are, you, what are you doing? And, and it's this picture of this woman being so focused. Did, did she want to make an impact on the people around her? I, I don't know. Was she hoping to corral her way into the Holy Scriptures one day? That, that every day forward she would be mentioned? She was 100% focused on ministering to the Lord, on loving her, on loving him with all of herself. She gave everything simply to love Jesus in that moment. And she did make scripture. That's pretty good if you make scripture for doing a good thing. Because there's a lot of good things to contend with. Mark 14 says, what I'm about to tell you is true. What she has done will be told Anywhere the good news is preached all over the world, it will be told in memory of her. This is Jesus saying, you, you want to see what it looks like to minister, to love me? Why don't you sacrifice everything on my behalf? Because in doing that, in being so focused on Jesus, she preached 
astoundingly to the whole room and to everyone who ever reads that page. And in that selfless, very focused act on just her Lord, she did much with her time and her energies. Focusing on Jesus in every situation is not going to make us selfish Christians. It's going to make us tremendously, tremendously free and effective. And I think all of us, afraid or not, pressured or not, would like to be effective for the Lord. And it starts with surrendering the very thing that we want to hold on to and giving that to Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that that you're just so good to us. You're so generous. You're so loving. You're so gracious. You know everything that we bring to the table. Every challenge, every fear. You, You know all of them. You know every failure. And you call us still and you say, Let's just start by you getting right. Do do you love me? Can you love me? Are you willing to have that love spill out into the world around you? Lord, you're not asking us to accomplish anything for you. You're asking us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And to give of ourselves for you. So Lord, would you help us today? Every scenario, every situation that we come across... Every difficult and easy thing that you're asking us to walk through. God, would we keep our eyes fixed perfectly on you? And Lord, would everything we do be uh, inflicting that, and that question from people? Why, why are you doing this? Well, it's, it's because I love Jesus. Would that be our motivation God, would that be our motivation? Would you help us today? Would we be more in love with you today and more willing to have that love um, really pour out on the world around us? Would you make us a free and highly motivated bunch for you because of the love that we have? Would you instill us with that love? We need you. Amen.